Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had so far, and may it continue as we have opportunity to open God's Word. And as uh, we started last week and taking a little bit of a summer road trip, and we are spending a little bit of time in the book of Isaiah. So if you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you. You can go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week and thinking about the grandeur of the glory of God. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. You can turn to page 635, and then you can take that home with you and uh, would encourage you to read that uh, throughout the week and uh, any way that uh, we can help uh, point you to God's Word. We are delighted to do so. So, But as we think about this road trip that we are on, of course, last week we saw and we really started out uh, the trip with uh, hardly even making it out of the driveway, as we said, and thinking about taking comfort in the Lord. That there was this reality of the exile that was looming large and hard days were ahead and yet how certain and sure the comfort of the Lord is and the glory that He has revealed. And that as He was teaching His people then and teaching His people now to look and to listen and to hear that His Word stands forever and that we can take rest and refuge in that. And so we stand upon that rock here today as we come back into Isaiah chapter 40 and we're going to start in verse 9 and work our way down through verse 17. And so this is one of those passages of Scripture where we talk about glimpses of glory and beholding our God and seeing Him for who He is. And then as we think about road trips and you think about going places on a summer trip, you want to go to places that are especially memorable, where you go there and you see and you behold, and it's one of those life-changing experiences where you just can't fully describe it, where no picture actually displays it in all of its fullness and in all of its splendor, but you talk about it in such terms, because it's a reminder of the glory of what you have seen. How much more so is that the case as we behold the glory and grandeur of our great God? So read with me, if you will, start in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 9, and we are going to read down through verse 17 together. Read with me now. He says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales, and hills in a balance. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult, or who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust of the, on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment now, lift up our eyes. May we, by the work of your Spirit, at work in our hearts, may we together behold the grandeur of your glory and worship you. Worship you in glad-hearted surrender, 
worship you in faith, worship you in the spirit, and worship you with all of the wonder that you, your worthiness demands. Father, capture our attention, capture our affection, and may we be amazed by you forever, starting now. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. As we start off, and as this text really takes this turn into the wonders of beholding the grandeur of the glory of God, he starts off here in verse 9 where it says, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. And so you can pick up on a lot of parallel phrases that are going on here. And the whole idea is you want to go and announce the grandeur of what you are beholding here. And really on the basis of the fact that the Word of God stands forever, as he makes reference here to Zion and Jerusalem and this picture of the redeemed people of God, that the people who know are those who are going out and making known, heralding the good news. Now that's an interesting word for us to use because a lot of times for us when we hear the word herald, we think of some guy with a horn standing on the king's steps wearing the king's pajamas and saying, hear ye, hear ye, right? That's not the only heralding that needs to take place. We get to herald the gospel wherever we are. We get to herald the truth of the glory of God himself. Go announce the glory of the God who saves. Oh, Jerusalem, herald of good news. It's from this place of worship and this centerpiece of the focus of God's deliverance and redemption of his own people that we then turn around and announce the glory of our great God. Lift it up with strength. Lift it up and fear not. That at the very least, from the outset right here in verse 9, we get this sense of excitement about the glory of God. This is not something where we're just sort of pulling up in the road and be like, oh, well, this could go either way. Maybe it'll be pretty cool, maybe not. No, we're amazed already. He says, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that His glory is not going to live up to the hype. Let's get a better view of His glory together. Because the more we know, the more eager we are to announce Behold your God. It's the shift of our attention that for the people at the, mo- at the moment in Isaiah, as this is being read, on their minds, they're thinking exile. They had just heard the news of exile. This is looming like a cloud over them. And so in the middle of all of that, God is speaking comfort to his people. Hard days are coming, but behold your God. Hard days are here oftentimes, but behold your God. Lift up your eyes and see. I can remember being on a road trip with my dad one time when I was a kid, and we were out west, and he had wanted us to see the Rocky Mountains, and we had never seen the Rocky Mountains. And so we were out there, out west, and of course, you know, as a kid in the back seat, you do what a kid in the back seat does. You're just bored, right? Back in the days before cell phones and all that sort of stuff, right? We're just sitting there and trying not to cross that imaginary line where the siblings in the back seat just inevitably fight about, right? And I can remember my dad talking with us as we were making our way and, you know, we're traveling across the, the flatland and the Rocky Mountains are out in front of us. My dad's like, are you, are you looking at this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, dad, sure, okay. Like, do you see this? Yeah, uh-huh, yep. Are you paying attention? Yeah, I see it. Yeah, that's great. And he's picking up on what's going on because he knows that I'm just looking around and I'm sort of looking out the window and it's like, oh yeah, look at those clouds. And he's saying, no, 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 son. Look up. Because what I was looking at was not clouds. It was snow caps. And as I leaned my way 
and looked out the window, I started to see that what I was looking at, I wasn't looking high enough. I had not lifted my eyes up far enough to see the grandeur of what was laid out in front of me. That's exactly the position for all of us oftentimes. God is speaking to His people, lift up your eyes. Don't look so low. Lift up your eyes and see. Behold your God. Behold Him in His holiness and His righteousness. Behold Him in all the manifold splendor of His attributes, of His omniscience, and the omniscience coupled with wisdom, His omnipotence coupled with His kindness, His justice and His grace. That when was the last time for you, when you were thinking about God and reading His Word, that you were just overwhelmed with awe and wonder? Get on up the high mountain. Let's go together. Let's behold the glory of our great God. Let's say to one another, behold your God. He says in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. That as He's pointing this out, He's leading us to see that not only are we just beholding our God, we are beholding and seeing specific attributes of Him. The sovereign, rescuing shepherd. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And even the names that He's using here, Yahweh Adonai, right? Sovereign Yahweh, Sovereign Lord. The triune God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who's always been involved, who is there in the beginning, who is the one that we sinned against, and yet even still is acting in grace. Even in Genesis chapter 4, he is calling us to himself. He is at work all this time. He's rescued Noah, and he's called Abraham, and he's been at work in Moses. He's spoken through the prophets leading up to this time. He has made known his promises, and he has fulfilled them from where we sit looking right now. And that we can look at all of this and say, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. He's our rescuer. He's our shepherd. He's our God. And as we behold Him, we see Him in all of His might. His might in His character. His might in His action. He's mighty in who He is, and He is mighty in what He does. He saves with might, he judges with might, he creates, he redeems, even his patience is an exercise of his strength. So that amid all the exile realities for the people of Israel then, and even amid the fact that we live as pilgrims and exiles and strangers on this earth, behold your God and he is mighty, his arm rules for him. What a picture, right? Roll up his sleeves, and there he is, right? You, I know what it's like. You walk into the gym, and you walk in there, and you start, you know, looking around, being like, I might be able to take that guy, but definitely not him. You can sort of, you can spot him out at the very outset. You notice. Don't mess with him. Our Lord is mighty. We are not talking about a shepherd who is airbrushed in precious moment style. He is mighty. He is our rescuer. His rule and his reign and his power is absolute and supreme. His kingdom in our lives, he rules with might. His power in our weakness. And so that as his sheep and as his people, we don't live our lives trying to prove our own strength, but rather we enjoy his. He says, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. 
See, the picture here that he's using these two terms, they're, they're really parallel terms and talking about his reward. The same word in the Hebrew text is also often translated wages, his recompenses, his work. So the Lord displays the evidence of his might in the redemption of his people. Here we are, a testimony to the saving, redeeming power of God himself. Look around at the stories of his people, the redeeming love and grace that has been at work in our hearts and lives, that he's made new creations out of old messes, and that every gathering of God's people is a reminder of his glory and his might. That when we walk in these doors, we're not just doing the church thing, we're not just walking in here and being like, this is where I've always been, this is just what I do, and this is the sort of Sunday morning thing. No, we're looking around and we're interacting with other expressions of the glory of God. Reminded of what he has done. Reminded of the stories. This is one of the reasons we need to get to know each other even more. To hear the stories of redemption and love and grace and work in all of our lives. And that for those of you who don't yet know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, man, when you come to faith in him, you have much to look forward to. What an amazing God we have. What a rescuing shepherd. What might he has. And behold him. Behold him in all of what he has done and all of what he has accomplished. His glory is displayed. And look at how kind He is in His might. Our God, the sovereign rescuing shepherd. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. At this point in history, Psalm 23 had been written long before, centuries before this. The people of God had already been long familiar with the idea of Yahweh being shepherd to them, of the Lord God being shepherd to them. All the ways in which we read Psalm 23 and reminded of the wonders of His loving kindness and His guidance and His mercy and His care. How much more so as we read this and are reminded that this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ who said in John chapter 10, what? I am the good shepherd. That not only does he, he tend the flock, he actually builds the flock by his own blood. He lays down his life for the sheep so that we can even be sheep. This is our shepherd. This is our rescuer. Behold the mighty mercy of the sovereign shepherd. Notice how this is stated. He will tend his flock. Absolute assurance that he provides nourishment for us because we need it. He protects us and all the enemies that tempt us and try to lead us to doubt him. He breaks the strong desires contrary to his will and he pursues us even when we are astray. Look at how good he is. He knows we need a mighty shepherd. He knows our sin is strong, but he knows he is stronger. He knows our grief is strong, but his love is stronger. He knows our weakness is strong, but his grace is stronger. This is our sovereign shepherd. Behold him, know him, and enjoy him. And not only does he tend his flock, it says he gathers the lambs in his arms. All of the helpless when we are afraid and we wander and needy, which is always. He gathers us to himself. He's always sufficient for our need. So you can see, even here, even before we get into a, another 
picture of the grandeur of his glory later on in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 42, even here, you see this coupling of strength and gentleness together. That the exercise of his gentleness is actually an expression of his strength. To bring us together, to gather the lambs in his arms, and it doesn't matter who you are or how far gone you are, his reach is always sufficient. He carries those that are with young. Those who need to be carried. Many of us are so slow to admit this. We talked about this at length last week. But life eventually gets us there. But look at the picture that's displayed here. He will carry them in his bosom. So when he carries us, he's not carrying us like this. It's not like carrying a kid with a dirty diaper. He's drawing us close. What a picture of fatherly kindness, isn't it? And that it isn't interesting as a child that when a dad embraces you, not only do you feel his love, you also feel his strength. What a picture we have here of how God is with his people. What, what we, we see such reason to glorify him, to behold him, that in the midst of what we face right in front of us, lift up your eyes and see and say, behold our God. He gently leads those that are with young. He's mighty to lead those who have to take it slow. Those who are helpless and those who are vulnerable. And then as we just slow down for a second and park the car on this road trip and behold our sovereign rescuing shepherd. As we look at him and see him and hear him described in this way. Do you know him? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Because you need to come away from today being able to say more than the Lord is the shepherd. You need to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd. Receive him by grace through faith. Receive Jesus Christ, the sovereign rescuing shepherd. Do we see him as he is? And dare I say, we all need this passage of scripture. Because whether or not we were doing it when we walked in this morning, at some point throughout this week and really throughout our lives, we've been looking too low. And God is calling us, lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and behold, because what you're going to see and what you're going to find by God's Spirit at work through His Word is that not only is the Spirit leading us and guiding us here, but He's directing us to see He's better than we could have possibly imagined. Behold our God in the grandeur of His glory, and notice how He starts to do this. He starts to ask these questions. That we often measure things by comparison, right? You go and you shop for a house, and when you go and shop for a house, inevitably what your real estate agent is going to do is they're going to pull up what? Comps, right? And you start to figure things out, and you start to price things out, and you start to, okay, we're going to work things out by comparison and sort these things out. And so it helps us to see here these comparisons that are being made and thinking about the grandeur of the glory of God because what happens when we start to think this way in terms of our great God? 
Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? We think, okay, well, this is amazing. Well, it is amazing, but it gets a little more amazing when we start to add some more detail to it. And even if we're just going to take the words literally as they sit, right? So we can talk about the oceans. We can talk about the salt water that's on the earth. And you can talk about, you know, 71% of the earth is ocean water. And so that's 332,519,000 million square, excuse me, cubic miles of water. That's 352.7 quintillion gallon jugs. And he holds it in the hollow of his hand. That's big. That's massive. Talk about the grandeur of his glory. It's like sweat in his palm. These things, we go out to the beach and we're just looking out there and be like, you know, if I lose my keys three feet out in there, I'm like, I'm done. It's over, right? There's no way I could find that. No, he holds all of that in the hollow of his hand. This is the God who's our shepherd. This is the God who answers our prayers. This is the God whom we get to declare and delight in together as a church. This is amazing. This is he who saves. Don't you need him? Aren't you amazed by him? Oh, but it gets better. He says he marks off the heavens with a span. You're talking about a span. You're talking about the distance on your hand. You spread your hand out and you're going from the end of your thumb to the end of your pinky, right? And so as he's talking about this, he marks off the heavens with a span. So if you're standing on a flat piece of ground and there was no mountains anywhere and you were just looking at the circumference of the earth, you're looking at 12,500 miles. That's a pretty long way. But if you start to think about this in terms of heavens just looking out and you start to think, okay, well now we're starting to look out into outer space and we're having to measure things in terms of light years. Of course, the speed of light is going 186,000 miles per second, and so that's something like, when you do the math, it's like 5.87 trillion miles per year. That's pretty far, and that's pretty fast. But if you start to think about, okay, he's marking off the heavens with a span, and if you were standing anywhere on the planet and you were just looking out into space... A conservative estimate is that from anywhere on earth, as you look directly out into space, you're looking 14 billion light years in any direction. That's 2,600 trillion miles, and it's like looking at his hand. The grandeur of the glory of our God. And these are the gracious hands that gather us to him. These are the gracious hands that comfort us in the midst of our need. These are the mighty hands that save us and guide us and grow us. This is our great God who answers our prayers. He's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. See how he's doing all this? It's like, hey, let's go on this road trip and let's look around. And as we look at all these things, let's look at all these things in a way in which they point to the glory of God. You want to know why space is so big? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. So he's talked about the ocean. He's talked about the sky. Now he's talking about the dirt. Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure. There's a lot of dirt. Something like, you know, you just look at the land area on the earth. 57 million square miles. You're talking about 36 uh, billion, 677,592,320 acres. If you're in real estate. Some estimates have said that there are 7.5 sextillion sand grains on the earth. He's enclosed it in a measure. He comprehends 
the incomprehensible. It's like a pinch of salt to him. So all of the messes that we come crawling up to him with being like, I can't do this. I can't figure this out. There's no way this brokenness could, be come, to, could come together again. There's no way you could fix me. Have we forgotten the grandeur of his glory? And closes the dust of the earth in a measure, comprehends the incomprehensible, weighed the mountains and scales and hills in a balance. You look at a mountain that's 6,000 feet tall, and if on, on an average sort of weight and breakdown of material, you're th- looking at 20 million tons. There's something like 1.2 million known mountains on land. This doesn't even count the ones that are underwater. And if you weighed each one and they average 20 million tons, you're looking at 23 trillion tons. It says he weighed the mountains and scales and hills in a balance. Who's done that? He has. You see what's happening here? The, The grandeur of the exile is big. Lift up your eyes. The grandeur of the glory of God is bigger. Get a deeper view of the grandeur of who it is that's at work in our hearts and lives and who it is who's called us to himself and who it is who's at work in us and who we worship together, who calls us to repent and believe. To think that this is the God against whom we have sinned and yet in grace he has pursued us. Is there anything too difficult for him? What What did you bring in here this morning that was too big? Where are your eyes looking now? Who's measured the Spirit of the Lord? Verse 13. What man shows him counsel? Measure in the sense of fully comprehend him and count as an equal, to level the playing field, as we might say. And we see, I mean, we should already see, but if not, we see even just by the, the nature of this question, no one is as equal. And the sooner we see that, the better. And even, but even then, he's knowable, but he's not fully comprehensible. That's the glory of the Trinity. See, so many people have such a hard time thinking about the Trinity. Be like, well, I can't fully make sense out of, you know, that we have one God and three persons, and it's like this mind-bending thing. Doesn't it comfort you that your God and his nature is incomprehensible to your mind? That the glory of his splendor and the majesty of his own being Bends our minds to humility. That's an amazing thing. That's a good thing. That's a gracious thing. Then you think of his attributes and love that endures forever and mercies that are new every morning and his faithfulness that never ends. Who's measured him? What man shows him counsel? We don't worship a God who needs our advice. Although that sounds like we do sometimes when we pray. He doesn't need us to counsel him. Although sometimes it sounds like we think that in the way that we read our Bibles. We need a better view of his glory. Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? See, there's plenty of people that are just getting all up in arms about mansplaining. Speaking condescendingly to a woman about women things when you're a man, right? People freak out about it. And I mean, I could understand. I don't like when people talk condescendingly to me. Do we speak in such a way to God himself, though? That's the issue. 
Do we talk to him as though he needs our advice? Or even thinking about who, who taught him the path of justice or taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who taught him the difference between right and wrong? He's the standard between right and wrong. He is just eternally so. He's never learned anything. There's nothing to learn. He has always been. And we question him. How dare we? And yet even still we see that he who is eternally just, and we are dead in our trespasses and sin, yet even still he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? Who looks at him, the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things, and says, let me show you the way? He is the source. That as it's described in Colossians, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Instead of trying to teach him, let's trust him. Instead of thinking that we know better than him, let's trust that he knows better than us. He does not need a cultural update. He has never been popular. He doesn't need to be. He is God. He calls us to repent and believe, to trust Him as He is, as He has revealed Himself, as He has made Himself known. We need to seek His knowledge. Not be like the arrogant student who raises your hand in the class so that you can tell the professor everything that you know like the humble student who keeps your hand down to listen to what you need to learn. Oh, how we ought to approach the grandeur of the glory of our God. He says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. We think of the expressions of power in all these different ways. And one of the ways that we like to think of it is, you know, military or nation might. And really, he's using the word nations here in reference to those who do not know him, who do not trust him. And you think of those who are looming large within the context of Isaiah chapter 40, the Babylonians. They're indefeatable. There's nobody who's ever going to defeat them. And then they got defeated by the Persians. And the Persians were the threat, and everybody's like, they're indefeatable. Nobody's ever going to beat them. And then the Greeks beat them. And then everybody's looking around and be like, nobody will ever defeat the Greeks. And then the Romans beat them. It's like every time we sort of swagger on up in our arrogance. No, God looks at this. He says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. You think of a five-gallon bucket. It's got something like 91,000 drops in it, which is something like 450,000 drops. So that one drop in a bucket is 2.2 millionths of a bucket. The nations, all of them collectively, are like a drop in the bucket compared to his might. indiscernible in all of their might up against him. Accounted as dust on the scales. Now maybe you've been on a diet before and maybe you've, you know, you've walked up to the scale and you've gotten on the scale and you looked at it and you looked down at the number and you're like, I don't like that number. And you step down off the scale and you're like, that's what it is. There's too much dust on there. Right? <laughs> And so you go down there and you scrub it off a little bit, get the pledge out there and, you know, clean it off. And be like, that's better, right? No, not, not in the remotest sense. 
that in thinking about things as dust, it's as though they're almost not even there. Behold the grandeur of the glory of our, the God of all comfort. That all these things that bring us to our knees, that stir our fears, that, that bring us to fright, that overwhelm us, that consume all of our attention, all these things that we worry about and lose sleep about, are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold the grandeur of the glory of our God. He really is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. All 372,000 miles of coastland, it's like sand between his fingers. Or as the kids like to say, he's got the whole world in his hands. Those aren't just children's songs. Those are reminders of the grandeur of the glory of our God. Reminders that we all ought to be singing on a regular basis. Because as you look at your own life and you say, what about this? Lift up your eyes and say, I see you. How great is his glory? Well, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. The forests of Lebanon would have been very familiar to the people of, of Judah at this time. The forest of Lebanon would have been the wood with which they built the temple and built the palace of Solomon. Trees that average something between 40 and 60 feet tall that can grow much, much bigger than that. You cut down all of them and bring them as a burnt, to fuel the burnt offering before the Lord and it wouldn't even come close to sufficing. Nor would all of the beasts be enough of a burnt offering. And then you start to think about it. You, you could take all the woodland creatures out of Lebanon. You could take all of the animals in all of the world. The billions of goats and billions of cows and billions of pigeons and billions of sheep and you gather them all together with all the trees of Lebanon and you light it all on fire and it's still not enough to testify to the grandeur of his glory. And yet, should we not be amazed that in one sacrifice the Lamb of God was slain for the sins of the world. He who came fully God and fully man, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, went to the cross and died in the place of all who would repent and believe. He accomplished our salvation. Yes, it is true. Lebanon would not suffice for, for fuel. The beasts are not enough for a burnt offering, but Jesus is all sufficient and all we really need so that for all eternity we will resound with praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Because His glory requires eternal praise for His glorious grace. That is our God. Do we see Him? Are we beholding Him? That all the nations are as nothing before Him. They're accounted by Him as less than nothing in emptiness. Now isn't it interesting He says this? Because what captures most of our attention throughout the week? I wonder how many times we've turned on the news and have read thing after thing after thing after thing after thing, and it has just consumed our attention to where not only do we get informed on the news, but then we get informed on 20 different people's opinions about the news, and then after we're done with that, we turn it on the next day or the next morning to get 20 new opinions about one new detail about the news. I'm not saying don't be informed, but don't get so informed in the news at the expense of beholding the grandeur of the glory of God for whom the nations are as nothing before Him. Who are we trusting? Who are we looking to? 
Who are we beholding? Who are we walking with? Who are we focused upon? Because all the 195 nations of this earth and all 7.8 billion people, if they all got together and somehow tried to push back upon him, there is nothing before him, less than nothing, an emptiness, no sway whatsoever, and yet this is our God who saves us. How do we respond to him? Does your faith today reflect the grandeur of his glory? And how you pray, and how you sing, and how you spend time in his word, and how you live your life to display his goodness and kindness and attributes at work in you. All these things are meant to reflect our grasp of his grandeur. And the time for doing things our own way is over. Dare I say, this is quite a stop on this road trip that we're on. And that as we behold Him and pick our jaws up off the ground, this is the God who calls you to take refuge in Him. This is the sovereign rescuing shepherd who's calling you to himself. This is the one who displays the grandeur of his glory that you would recognize I have sinned against him. I don't stand a chance unless he forgives me. And he provided the way. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sin, to rise from the dead, that you turn away from your sin and you trust in Christ and you're forgiven, you're reconciled, you're justified, you're covered in his righteousness and you're drawn close as a child to the Father. Come and trust in Jesus Christ here today as we behold his grandeur of his glory together. It's amazing. And for all of us here who are believers, maybe we just needed a little reminder. Maybe we just needed a little refresher. Maybe we just needed somebody, and by the Spirit of God at work through the prophet Isaiah, to just tap us on the shoulder. Or maybe someone to just be like a dad to say, Son, daughter, look up. Lift up your eyes. Stop looking right here and start looking right there and behold the grandeur of His glory and live to worship Him. However the Spirit leads in your hearts and lives this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, do a, do a mighty work in our lives together. Father, whatever you are calling for, in, in the specific ways you are calling us to worship you now, Father, may it be on display. For those who need to worship you by trusting in Jesus Christ for the first time, may today be the day of their salvation and they run to you in faith. They cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and Father, that they would leave this place justified through faith in Jesus, crucified and resurrected. That they would know the rescuing shepherd. Father, for all of us in here who have come with heavy burdens, with distractions, with details of lives weighing us down, Father, lift up our eyes that we may behold you. That we may be reminded not only of the grandeur of your might, but Father, that you love us as glorious as you are. That you are our shepherd and guide. You are our refuge and strength. You are merciful and kind and faithful and true. Father, in all the ways that we need you, you know our hearts. By your spirit, lift up our eyes. 
And may we respond together accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.